Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon, and I hope you're enjoying the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Dan Borchik, and I'm a first year MBA and engineering student at MIT. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel, self-made sports legends and entrepreneurs, Michael Rubin and A-Rod. Our panelists today are Alex Rodriguez, World Series champion baseball player with the New York Yankees and the founder and CEO of the A-Rod Corp. Michael Rubin, executive chairman, fanatics and philanthropist and criminal justice reform advocate with the Reform Alliance and the All In Challenge. Our panel will be moderated by Jessica Gelman, CEO of the Kraft Analytics Group and co-founder and co-chair of this conference. The moderated panel will run for 35 minutes and we'll take 10 minutes at the end for audience questions. Please use hashtag business home runs on Twitter to submit questions to our panelists. And I will use uh, also monitor the chat and all in the loop for questions. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Jess. Thank you so much, Michael. Alex, great to be here with you. Thank you. You're closing out the conference, so no pressure. We'll bring, we'll bring the heat and some fun. So both of you guys have been incredibly active during the pandemic. Michael, Fanatics was recently valued at $12.8 billion. And in your spare time, you created the All In Challenge, raising over $60 million to support uh, folks during the pandemic. Alex, you have 40 active investments. You created a SPAC called Slam Corp. One of your investments is going public, him and hers, through another SPAC. Oh, and in your spare time, you also pursued the Mets. So I love the entrepreneurship that both of you guys uh, take, and you've obviously taken the pandemic as an opportunity to do more. But what is so impressive to me, most impressive, is that you are both self-made. Neither of you graduated from college. So I really just want to know, how did you learn and educate yourself about business? And is there an entrepreneur who you admire or an individual who's been most influential to you? Michael, you want to start us off? Sure. You know, for me, uh, we kind of joke about not graduating college. I barely made it out of high school. Um, you know, I've always just worked my ass off, had a little bit of common sense and kind of went for whatever I wanted to go for. Um, and I think with, you know, good common sense and tenacity, you can generally win in anything that you put your mind to. Uh, you kind of talk about, by the way, the pandemic and kind of what happened, um, and kind of, you know, you know, both Alex and I think, you know, ourselves finding a way to turn good from this, you know, I'm really a huge believer that you need to find opportunity in everything. And I remember, you know, the day that, um, the NBA paused the season, you know, we, we all got together and like, okay, we're selling sports merchandise and there's no sports. This can be really bad. And a day later, we're like, wait a second. We thrive for these opportunities. This is like, this is when we can, you know, strengthen our business. We can do more. And that's, you know, exactly what we work to do during this, both from building the business, but also trying to have an impact to make the world a better place. So I think that's just culturally who our company is. You know, look, I know Alex really well. He's built the same way. I mean, Alex, I mean, this guy doesn't sleep. He's, you know, first one up, last one to bed, always hustling. And, you know, that type of mentality is, you know, it's how you win in sports, it's how you win in business. Alex, how about yourself? How did you educate yourself about business? I mean, obviously you were, you know, drafted number one in MLB in 1993. 
how did you educate yourself where when you were traveling who did you connect with and who was influential for you yeah you know for me it was always about you know the two b's baseball and business i, I i've always had a great passion for it i necessarily necessarily haven't been the smartest person in the room that's for sure or the most talented in baseball but you know one thing that i had is i had incredible passion for both i had uh, i had a vision I had a grit and I had this kind of rare ability or inability to never give up and just kind of keep grinding after it. And, you know, my mentor once told me, you know, when things are going really, really bad, I mean, just keep your cool and never stop trying. And ultimately that's what I've always done. And, you know, to Michael's point, when things kind of went south with COVID-19, you know, when a guy like Michael calls you or Robert or Jonathan, you know, first of all, they call, I, I always answer the answer is yes. What is the question? And, uh, I think from an entrepreneur spirit, I mean, just to believe that anything's possible, it's something that I think Michael and I share both in business and in give back. So are you gonna share with who your mentor was that gave you that great advice? You know, there was, uh, so Warren Buffett always talks about that. And, and a friend of mine, John Gray, reminded me because he has girls just like I do. And, you know, I always think about what can I tell my daughters when they're going through challenging times. And I, I mean, trust me, I have a lot of challenging times. So I have a lot of great, moments with, you know, daddy, uh, daughter time. And I always talk about, you know, my struggles and my struggles is really where you grow. And, uh, so I've done a lot of growing. You know, Jess, I, I realized I kind of half answered your question as, um, you know, I guess the one thing I'd add on, you know, for me, um, the number one thing for me as an entrepreneur is I'm like a sponge. Like I really, different people learn different ways. I was not somebody that could learn in school. It's just my brain didn't work that way. I couldn't focus, I couldn't pay attention. I learned from getting all different types of people around me and I and I watch and I pay attention. I get little details and that's the way I grow. So all of my, you know, you know, all of my growing is by the people that are around me that I'm learning from every single day. And I'll learn from Alex and I'll learn from you, Jess, and I'll learn from other people around me because I'm always picking up information. Look, you know, one person, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the organization you're part of, you know, Robert Kraft, you know, you know, one of the closest people in the world to me, you know, I've learned so much from, you know, watching him. I watch him, the championship culture he builds and how does he do it? And how does he do it for getting the best people? I watch little details when, you know, he might just, the way he makes, you know, the way he talks to everyone and makes everyone feel important to him and the way he makes everyone kind of get behind what he's doing. And so to me, you know, that's what I've learned from Robert. I take a friend of mine, like, you know, Meek Mill, who, you know, I've watched him go through so much adversity. I've learned about culture from him. I've learned about what it's like to grow up in it. And, you know, I grew up, you know, very middle class. He grew up in the toughest of neighborhoods and I've learned lots of things from him. So to me, if you put anybody around me, I'm going to learn a lot from them. And, you know, and that's why I say whether it was, you know, you or Alex or Robert and Meek, I'm learning from everybody every day. I love that. And I think, Alex, you have a particularly interesting perspective, hopefully, on things that you learned in your athletic career that you are now applying to your business approach. Is there anything in particular or maybe multiple things that are translating or have translated at, with the tremendous success that you've had with A-Rod Corp? Can you not hear me? Alex, you got muted somehow. Um, so by the way, I'll say, I'll say one thing for Alex. I'll jump in here for them. I've actually watched him. Like what makes Alex who he is, is he won't give up in business. Like he's unrelenting. 
And it's funny, you know, he grows up as this, you know, incredible athlete. I grew up as this very uncoordinated, you know, you know, not athletic person. But the one thing I know is I see the hustle that he has and you can recognize it. When you look out to me, you see how into business they are, how many times they're going to call you, how unrelated they are. When I hear from Alex, when he asks me something, I'm just going to do it because if I don't, he's going to he's going to ask me 17 more times before I say yes. So, you know, a no to Alex is actually a precursor to a yes. You're going to give in eventually. So you just got to do it. And that's his mentality that he has. And I think, you know, it is. I've seen this. You know, look, I talked about this with with Kobe. You know, when Kobe was, um, you know, three or four years before he retired, you know, you know, I was you know fortunate enough to be introduced to Kobe and he would call me 10, 20 times a day in business with business questions. I'd be like, I like, how does he have so much time to want to learn about business? But that's because he, he was, you know, similar to Alex, you know, he just had so much passion for business and that translates. You see why he got the success. So I actually think it's easy to protect, to predict a great athlete, to see whether they'll be successful in business or not based on the hustle that they have post, you know, or even at the end of their careers. And now you're having technical difficulties. I'm here for you. I agree with that. And, and just one of the things that athletes, you know, get a, a hard time and entertainers as well as not being great business people. But if you think, and, and Michael does more work with athletes, both in social good and also in business in, in Robert Kraft as well. You know, a lot of people do not give athletes and entertainers the right opportunities, right? Or the right chance. They think that, oh, well, because you play sports, you're not going to be a great business person, but you see Magic Johnson and you have, you know, Greg, Greg Norman, Arnold Palmer back in the day, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James. There's so many great ones. If you have those attributes, I mean, when I look at Michael, I look at Michael as someone that I want to have in the foxhole with me at Yankee Stadium, right? I want to, you want to go to battle with a guy like that. And at the end of the day, you know, how hard is it to play 20 years in professional sports, the grind, the travel, the never giving in? There is no schedule. There is no clock in and clock out. There is no bonus. You just got to go out and win. And those are the same characteristics that you need in passion that you need to win in sports and you need to in business as well. Well, it's interesting. You said business and baseball. And so you were doing business. Like you started very early on in your athletic career on the business side and then obviously have extended it more recently. I want to switch a little bit on to team ownership. So, you know, obviously there are some academic experts who have questioned sports and uh, ownership. So I'm going to start first with you, Michael and Alex, and I'll go, I'm going to go to you. But Michael, you've made it very clear. You're obviously an owner of an NBA, the Sixers, and NHL team, the Devils. You have made it clear that the NFL is your aspiration. Why would this be a good investment, the NFL specifically? Yeah, so let me say first, I think in general, I think sports have proven to be a good investment because you can look at the continued appreciation that there's been in sports. And one of the things I think, you know, is this fanatics keeps, you know, growing in, you know, size and relevancy in sports is you see that if you're a good entrepreneur, this is a really exciting industry where you can create new business opportunities. So for me, you know, I think I've really enjoyed what I've learned in the past 10 years from being, you know, a partner in two sports teams. And, and, and it's been a great experience for me. And for me, I actually think you know, sometimes words get a little twisted. If a great opportunity comes along, you know, I would absolutely do it. It's not, I don't actually think about it really. I'm kind of, I'm like locked in with fanatics. I'm locked in with a lot of the, you know, you know, things we want to do to make the world a better place. 
But I do think it's a good business. And I think a lot of people look and say, hey, there's been so much appreciation. Is it still a good opportunity? The answer is absolutely, because there's so much opportunity to keep making these better businesses while more closely engaging with your fans. So I'm incredibly bullish on so many, as I think about how we build, you know, fanatics and start creating new digital businesses, I think we have so much opportunity ahead. And by seeing that, it makes me more opportunity on the, the sports business as a whole, because when you own a team, you own 3% of that league. Um, but I don't actually wake up or go to bed saying, you know, I'm dying to, you know, buy a NFL team or my own NBA team. I have a great situation, you know, with the Philadelphia Sixers, great partners with Josh Harris and David Blitzer. And we all, you know, I think we're having a, you know, a, a great time building the business together. And, um, you know, I've, like I said, I've never been more locked in than I am with Fanatics. Well, congrats on your first place in the East right now. Um, I actually hate so, to say, I think it's actually second today, but I look forward to being at first again. Oh, geez. Sorry about that. Well, could half, Alex. could be half a game out. <laughs> okay. Well, Alex, very publicly, you made a bid for the Mets. So would love to hear a little bit of your learnings from that process and, and kind of what you're going to take into the next effort, as you've said that you are going to uh, continue to try and um, own an MLB team. Yeah, I mean, again, I think like Michael, I didn't wake up hoping like a team came available. I thought the Mets was a team that was unique. It was a trophy. It was in a primary city like New York City, uh, a city that I understood well. Growing up, I, I loved the Mets growing up. So it was a natural, and I thought it was I had an opportunity to do something really special uh, with an asset that was really generational. Um, but, but it's completely opportunistic. I think as an entrepreneur, if you say to yourself, I only want to own a baseball team, I think that's a mistake because that's not how opportunities are created. I think you wake up every day, you thank the good Lord and say, thank you so much for everything. Today's going to be my lucky day. And opportunities come to you when you're grateful and appreciative and you have your eyes wide open. Just like a point guard playing basketball, the great point guards like Magic, they see the whole floor, right? And I think that's what Michael and Robert Kraft does so well. And then you have others that are just great executors. And, and if you're both that makes you a really great business person like Michael. But I, I look at sports, there's so many branches, what I learned in throughout sports with within a team, whether that's real estate around the stadium, whether it's the fanatics part of the business, whether that's e-commerce, uh, media, sports, the ch ever, ever changing media landscape of where we are today with OTT. And there is so much disruption to be had inside the stadiums. I mean, if you think about what's happened outside of the stadium, I mean, just, you know, 15 years ago, we didn't have Peloton. We just had Equinox and 24-Hour Fitness. You know, 15 years ago, we didn't have Uber. We just had taxis. That type of modern change has not happened inside the stadium yet. So what you're going to see over the next five years between AI, between ticket exchange, between, you know, real-time things that are going to change inside that stadium, really personalized. Because one thing COVID has taught us, the customers become, they become lazier and more demanding. So they're going to demand more for less. And I think there's massive opportunities in sports yet to come. I mean, I obviously agree uh, very much so. And thank you guys both for giving the big kudos to Robert. He's obviously been a, a great mentor for me in my career as well. I want to talk about the actual businesses that you guys are running these days. Um, so uh, I'm going to start first on the analytics front with you, Michael. We like to talk about data here. As you know, Fanatics today has 81 million sports fans. How are you? How are you using the power of this data um, in sports merchandise and more broadly in sports? Yeah, so I'll tell you. I think um, I love to 
see things that maybe we didn't realize that we had, you know, that was so valuable when we look at our business and kind of look back and figure out what did we get right and what did we not get right. For us, probably the most valuable asset we have as a company, those 81 million sports fans, we have the best database of sports fans in the world. We know so much about these fans. And so when I think about the digital sports ecosystem and all the other businesses that we could build, Fanatics has such a head start over anybody else because we know so much about our 81 million reachable fans. We're going to do 40 million transactions this year. So for us, we continue to invest aggressively in um, you know, building our analytics and, and all of the data around, around the business because it's not only about how do we build a better experience for the sports fan, for e-commerce and for buying the merchandise from us, but it's about how we think about all the other businesses that we can build over time in the digital sports ecosystem. And, um, you know, I think I've, you know, it's only been in the last year that I've realized that the most valuable assets of our company is, you know, our customer base, the relationship we have with 300 sports properties and kind of the disruptive personality of fanatics is a, you know, kind of digital sports platform. So it's why people, you know, a lot of people kind of get excited by where we are. And I literally feel like today fanatics, we haven't achieved 5% of our goal yet or 10% of our goal. We are just getting started and we have such a big opportunity ahead of us as we think about, you know, Alex talked about all this disruption that's happening, you know, think about as a digital sports platform, all the things that Fanatics can do over time. That's kind of where we're headed. Yeah. Someone smells NFTs in Fanatics future. Um, but uh, I think that's I think that's obviously amazing and incredible, and you know the the customer has obviously been a huge focus uh, throughout my career. And Alex, you know I had a chance to get to know you a little bit better during the Mets bid process, and I, I was just so floored by everything that you're involved in, from him and hers to uh, Petro's pace to goalie to Archer. So you're you have currently 40 active investments. What, what, do you, what are the key differentiators in the companies that you look to invest in? And is there one that you just are like, this, this story, this is a great story that I need to share? Yeah, I'm going to invest in Fanatics. <laughs> That's what <I> <laughs> No, I've always been a big believer in Fanatics. But, um, you, you know, we look at data for everything. It's funny. I was using data like in 1996, Jess, when I was going out and I would be facing a guy like Jamie Moyer. And I would do it differently, right? I would actually sit with the big cassettes. I would put it in my house in Seattle and I would start literally like counting fastball, curveball, fastball, curveball. And I would then write it down and create my own algorithm, right? Or if I was sitting at first base, when a pitcher would come to the stretch before, if I wanted to steal a base, I would count like 1,001, 1,002. And he would do that 10 times in a row. By the time I got to first base, he became a robot and I went, right? So that's on the sports side. On the business side, you know, we've been in the auto business for, for a really long time, for over a decade and a half. And around 2013, I started reading articles, you know, a lot of articles talking about the trends of young people are driving less and less and less. So one day I walked into my office and I said, we're selling all auto dealerships. And they said, what? That's our main business, real estate and auto dealerships. And I said, we're getting out. And in 2014, in the spring of 2014, we made a big exit, sold it at a big multiple and sold it to a public company. And we haven't been in the auto business ever since. And we've shifted around 2014 and 15 into venture and more e-commerce tech businesses that, that we really enjoy and like, and we think that's where the trends are. So we also brought in the Craft Group to help us out with the Mets. You guys were fantastic. And then we brought in McKinsey to help us out with our data and really taking it, Jennifer's data and our data. When you look at JLo Beauty, 
We're looking at what can 250 million followers on social media do? And what we realized, Jess, is everybody wanted Jennifer's data and we protected it you know, for dear life because we have one person in our office that has all the data and that's the way we want it because that data drives all our decisions. So we have that data. And then we have the McKinsey, where do we have the biggest impacts and influences, not only here, but around the world and with what demographic, it's very powerful. In every decision we make, whether it's Fanatics, Hens and Hirsch, GoPuff, there's data and analytics behind it. I love it. I am gonna to talk to you at some point, Alex, about the democratization of data and the importance of that. Um, so Michael, I, as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I love about how you approach things is your creativity. And in particular, to align incentives as Fanatics was growing massively, you let many leagues uh, own equity in Fanatics. How did you conceive of this idea and how has it aligned your business with, with the growth of the leagues and, and, and relationships with them? Yeah. So the first thing I said to you is I'm like a sponge, right? That's how I learn. And that has been my whole life. All my, I don't, I, it sounds crazy. Like I don't read books. Like I'm just, I'm a sponge. Well, part of being a sponge is you have to be a great listener. And um, you know, when I'm around our partners, I heard a common theme starting a few years ago. They said, you know, we love making more and more money from rights fees that you can pay to us, but we're kind of sick of like every decade seeing some extraordinary company that comes along and the company, the company pays a lot of money for our rights, but we don't get to participate in the upside. And so knowing that I had seen, um, you know, a couple of the sports leagues that had been frustrated that, well, they made a lot of money from increasing rights fees from, from some of these entrepreneurial businesses. They didn't feel like they really participated. And so when in 2017, uh, when we took, you know, a billion dollars from SoftBank, we gave the chance to a bunch of our partners to invest and, um, and they stepped up. By the way, the NFL, baseball, the NFL Players Association, hockey, I mean, you know, you know, some of the sports, they invest $150 million of cash. And people would say, wait a second, well, leagues don't do that. But you know what? Leagues got smarter. And sports partners got smarter. And by the way, you know, it's three years later, they're probably, you know, tripled their investment already. And we're just getting started. So I'd say it wasn't that I was creative or smart. It's that I knew I had two years and I had to listen. And people told me they were sick of only getting rights fees. They want to make money for appreciation from appreciation in the company's success. And so we got everybody aligned. It's worked really well. And I think a lot of a lot of companies have followed your lead. Uh, the most recent deal with Genius uh, Sports with the NFL and uh, and the and the data rights is very telling. So I think you know Alex, kind of you know scouting is obviously a critical part of sports. You've made a lot of very successful investments. How do you how do you evaluate the companies? How do you think about evaluating the companies and that you're investing in? You know, I know players. I'm very unconventional. I mean, the one thing about Michael and I, you're going to find two guys that didn't graduate, you know, from, from college. I also barely graduated from high school. Thank God I can hit You were definitely a much better student than me. I don't care what you say. Don't even try. Yeah, no way. You, got, you were probably twice the SATs and a way better student. Um, so, so, Jessica, I, I got to relate to, to what I understand best, right? And that's people. You know, one of the things about having almost 15,000 at-bats at the major league level, most of them in Yankee Stadium at Fenway and Fenway Park, and 
And we won the championship with Philly, but that's a little shot to my boy up there. <laughs> it was good for business. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand how a champion looks like, how he feels like. I understand facing him. I understand there's a lot of that. So for me, it's really about the jockey, not so much the horse. Um, I feel that if I connect with the founder, if he's coachable, if he's willing to understand his blind spots and work around the clock mm. and have passion, you have me at hello. Then we have to understand does the business work? Does the, the, the numbers trend? Do they have a moat? Do they have a big TAM? Is this something that we can grow around the world? Um, we want things that can be really, really large with large TAMs with, that are growing year over year, that have a good economic model. Hinton Hearst, for example, is a company that, you know, we came in around $300 million. We took it public through a SPAC at $1.6 billion. It ran up well over $3 billion, And all this happened in less than two years. But, you know, 91% of that company, for example, what I liked about it was 91% was reoccurring income, right? It, it had 76% year-over-year growth. I mean, not growth, it, margins, 76% margins. And when you have that type of growth and those type of margins, and you're bringing telemedicine to the masses, it was something that we really connected with, and it has been a great investment. You added a couple things when, when you came in as investors too, didn't you? Well, what we added was um, Jennifer did some hair products for them, and I actually did some like male skin, uh, which, which I actually think that male skin is going to be the big trend in, in years to come. I think our kids are going to say, Mom, Dad, I cannot believe that makeup was just for women. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I have pimples too. And it's funny because in the month of uh, October, I'm, I'm in our studio at Fox um, for the entire month, and all month I'm wearing makeup because we're there 30 days in a row. And then here comes November 1st and I got to look at this ugly face again. I want to put the makeup back on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really cool though, because the, the investing is not only investing money, but you're also extending the brands and leveraging your own brands to grow the businesses and enhance your investments. And that's just um, really impactful. Is, is there any other investment like that, that you've been able to do similar kind of growth in that way? I mean, we, we you said it, we've been very, very active through the pandemic. A, a lot of our deals, we, you know, we can't do the hands and hers. We can only do a handful of those. But a lot of the work we do is behind, you know, closed doors. It's really making connections. It's coaching. It's mentoring. It's helping hire. It's, you know, forecasting for some of these young entrepreneurs realistically. Because these young folks, I mean, they, they all want to be Mark Zuckerberg. But, you know, there's reality to some of that stuff. And we have to come in and say, we have to be real. All right? So a lot of it is coaching, mentoring. And uh, not all of it is just forward uh, marketing. Well, and both of you are great mentors. Uh, and so, I mean, obviously, A-Rod, you've done the CNBC piece. Um, that, how, that How often does that run? Um, but I think understanding that, and then, uh, Michael, you also do a tremendous amount of mentoring. I, I know that you're very close with Meek and, and the efforts that you've made. Would, can you speak a little bit more about why those things are important to you? Yeah, first of all, I feel like I get mentored more than I mentor. So, and that's just by having great people around you that you're, you know, you're a sponge to. Um, but, you know, for me, look, if there's one thing I've learned in life, and I didn't really, really get this until three or four years ago, when you do good, it always comes back to you. And, you know, I've learned that so much. Actually, the person I really learned that through, and it wasn't at all by design, it was by accident, was Meek. You know, me you know, goes to prison for not committing a crime. I, you know, take a tremendous amount of my time and energy together with, you know, Desiree Perez and Jay-Z from Rock Nation to help, you know, get him out of prison. And during that period of time, everyone's telling me, 
don't be involved with this. This is, you know, this is going to be bad for your reputation. You know, why would you get involved with it? People thought I was nuts. And, um, you know, not only were we 100% right about it, and, you know, we started something fabulous in that, the reformal acts, where we now are changing the laws state by state, but it actually, like, good, like, our business, I was working less and less in our business, the business was doing better and better. And the, the most recent example was the all-in challenge. When I told people what I wanted to do up front, people thought I was nuts. They're like, all of your customers are already not going to buy stuff because there's no sports. Now you want to use your fan base to get them to donate to, you know, help, you know, with, 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 with um, you know, food insecurity. And it actually became a halo effect for our company. So if there's the biggest thing I've learned, when you do good, you don't have to figure out how it's going to help you. It always comes back. It's like, you know, good karma has a big payback. And, um, you know, mentoring is just another form of that. Like, you know, anytime I have the time and I can help people, and, you know, I look at yesterday, I've never been busier. I've never been more locked in at work. I spent four hours last night helping two different friends with things that were purely for them. But you know what? You know, but then I learned from those friends and they helped me. And that's just the way I've grown. So I, for me, it's fun. Um, you know, I also love seeing, I think we're in a, and Alex was an early adopter. I think you're in a new version of like athletes. So many great athletes are dying to learn about business. And I watch how hard they're working to do it, how hard they're working to get into deals. And it's awesome. And you know what? Like anytime, you know, I can help somebody and they can help us. And whether it's somebody I meet in the corner of the street, I just think it's the right thing to do. Alex, you want to speak a little bit about all of the work that you've done? Because it's very significant in ensuring that athletes have awareness of business and are taking care of the money that they're making. Yeah, Jessica, I mean, one of the ones that I, I forgot to mention was Presidente Beer is one that we've done an incredible amount of work. And that 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 business has exploded. We have great partners in Anheuser-Busch and that's a Dominican beer and I'm Dominican. So it just is very organic and very real. And I thought my parents, uh, especially my father, drank a lot of that with my uncles. Um, getting back, you know, one of the things that is it, it pulls in my heart and it really, really bothers me. You heard me talk a little bit about uh, folks around the horn not giving enough credit to athletes and entertainers of the potential of business. Of course, they're not going to be modeling. They're not going to be running data. They're not going to be working for the craft analytic groups. But can they compete? Can they open doors? Um, can you trust them? Are they champions? Yes. So one of the, my big frustrations that I want to address, and I'm going to lean on, lean on friends like Michael, that him and I already do it by opening doors, it's not enough for Michael and I to go through the doors. It's important for Michael and I and Robert and Jonathan and others to come in our suite and you're going to see a diverse group of people. One of the, my favorite things about Michael, you walk into a suite of his, he's got his daughters, he's got his beautiful wife, he's got friends, he's got Robert, he's got, but then he's got four or five, you know, athletes, baseball players, Yankees, rappers, and it's, it's a very loving environment and it, and it resembles what the world is like. The fact that athletes and entertainers don't have access to the primary best deals in the world or secondary or sometimes tertiary, it's, it's really, really upsetting. And what happens is they have to do something because they're competitive. Guess what they do? They go to the car wash. They go to the cousin and do the, the restaurant and then they do a movie theater. And before you know it, the career ends, the liquidity stops, and they run into financial issues. And you see this over and over and over again. Why couldn't an athlete invest in a fanatics. Why couldn't an athlete invest into a J-Lo Beauty or a Hims and Hers? And I think we have a responsibility 
to bring people up and democratize this stuff because my mother could never invest with someone like Michael or myself, right? And, and it's important that people like my mother that come from nothing, she may only have $500, but $500, you're gonna invest. That's what we do at AROC Corp. Whether you have 500, 5,000 or 500,000, everybody's put, gonna put their money to work. Everybody's gonna show up because when we have a Monday morning meetings, everybody has stake in the game. And the most important word in business is alignment. Love it. All right, we have some great questions coming in from the audience. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and ask you some of these. Um, Alex, you've built a strong personal brand in an era without social media. What about today's landscape of user-generated content makes it easier or harder for athletes to do the same today? That's a tough question, right? Because I, I'm actually fortunate that I did not have social media when I played because I was all in narrow. A lot of these young athletes, they're, you know, so many distractions or I call them attractions, right? And it's easy, very easy and tempting to go wide and shallow. And at the end of the day, a year goes by, five years, 10 years, and you go by and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing 10 things. Okay. One of the things I did in baseball, I went narrow and deep. And I was incredibly concentrated, process-driven, not result-driven. And I think sometimes with social media, was an incredible tool. It can work in your favor and against you. But I have more players today asking me, when I go down to Sunday Night Baseball and I do my games, Alex, how can I increase my social media following? And I wish they were asking me, how can I increase my batting average or hit more home runs or help us win? And, uh, you know, so there's a good, there's a gift and a curse there, Jessica. Hey, Jess, the one thing I'll add in there, though, I'd say on the good side, I think the modern 2021, you know, top athletes, top celebrities, top actors, they have such big social presence. They can create a direct-to-consumer business that when, in Alex's day, he couldn't. And that's so incredible to see what people are doing now and creating business. People are creating billions of dollars of value business when they have a great social media presence and they do something that's truly dif differentiated and special. So I do think um, it is, if done the right way and you don't let it distract and take away from your performances, Alex, you, you know, so properly articulate, I do think it's a massive opportunity. And I think that if you look at the um, value that, you know, there are going to be some great businesses that are created in a direct-to-consumer format because of social media and the presence people have built from athletes, celebrities, and, and uh, actors. And, you know, you, you know, we could write a dozen examples off today that you know, they're incredible. Uh, you know, you just think of the Kardashian family alone and think about, you know, Kim's done with, with, with her brand. Think about Kylie's done with her brand, both multi-billion dollar businesses already and, you know, and, and so much upside. There's, there's so many examples of this. Yeah, Justin, one more thing. I think the competitive landscape has shifted. I mean, think about a world 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, Michael and I, if we just showed up, we could never compete with a Blackstone or a KKR or one of these big institutions. Today, you mentioned Kim Kardashian and the entire Kardashian family. You talk about doing a great job, you know, Kris Jenner with the way she's ran that family. It's really been uh, like a Harvard Business School case study. But the truth of the matter is today we show up and, and Blackstone has to see us as a fierce competitor. And, and there are worlds, you know, that we can actually beat Blackstone or KKR because the value proposition um, is one that is different. And the competitive advantage that we have today as individuals, the, the, the power in many ways is going to the brand, not just the capital. 
I love that. And it is, it is awesome. So I, um, a quick question. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about what's next. And, uh, you know, Michael, five years ago, I actually uh, moderated a panel with you and Wick Grousebeck and asked you about the plans and innovations of how you're, you were going to grow Fanatics uh, from a billion dollar company at that point in time uh, to five or 10 billion. So now you're with 12.8 billion. Uh, what worked? What were the challenges and where are you headed? What are the big things coming? Yeah, so I think what's worked is we realized there were these two little companies, uh, one in Seattle called Amazon <laughs> and called Alibaba. And we recognized that they were basically um, killing everything in retail and they had these incredible business models. And so the only way you could be successful is to be completely differentiated. So when we kind of started Fanatics, we started with the belief that we had to be 100% differentiated or there wouldn't be a reason for us to be. And so, you know, we, you know, we have, you know, millions of, uh, of SKUs of product that we sell, the merchandise that we sell, it's vertical, it's exclusive, it's special. And for that reason, we give a sports fan, you know, such a great assortment of merchandise. And we keep doing that globally. We keep expanding. We can figure out so many ways to make the fan experience better. But for me, I guess the most interesting thing is I kind of, we've been at this for a decade but we are just getting started. And, you know, the other way we think about it, again, I was saying this, we think about, you know, our 81 million reachable fans, the 40 million transactions we do this year, that, you know, we have such an opportunity to build, you know, so many different digital sports businesses. And we have a great business that we're, you know, aggressively building. But we have a lot of things we can do to kind of increase the overall opportunity. So this is, uh, this is the early days for Fanatics. That's a pretty big statement. I love it. Uh, Alex, what's interesting is I think obviously you started out really heavily focused in real estate and then you took a, made a couple of investments in sports related, but now you've really brought in beyond sports. How are you kind of envisioning the growth of A-Rod Corp um, going forward? Yeah, it's funny. I remember when, when Michael used to tell me Fanatics is about a billion dollars and, and it's kind of where we're kind of hovering around today and the business has no debt. And I really think that this would be a five to $10 billion business in the next five to seven years. And I have a very clear path to that. And, you know, I know it, when, when Michael said that for the first time, I know there was people around the hoop laughing, like there's no way he'll get there. But, you know, leaders have a vision and you have to be clear. And I always say haters hate, then they copy. But for us, it's really about making more concentrated bets with our partners, uh, both in capital, time, energy, and resources and focus. Um, I can see sometime in the next five years, some type of sports component in which we can continue to grow our brand between beauty, media, entertainment, and e-commerce. And having partners like Michael as advisors, uh, a friend of ours, Mark Laurie, who Michael and I are, are just incubated a business that we're very excited about that, that you'll hear about probably next week, Jessica, which we'll, we'll tell you about, and, and things like that. So that's that's where I see A-Rod Corp going. And at the same time, we put about 40 kids, uh, young people through the University of Miami, which I've sat at that board for almost 20 years. And my goal is to put you know 400 or 4,000 a uh, young man with that come like me from first generation immigrants uh, with folks with brown colors and uh, minorities through college. That's amazing. Uh, great, I mean, great story, so inspirational. So uh, another question from the audience. What is the biggest risk in business that you've taken that wound up to be a successful choice? Either of you. I mean, for me, I feel like I've seen death in its eyes like a hundred times. Uh, you, you know, what I always do 
is the biggest thing. And Alex, I know, would tell you exactly the same thing. It's no fear of failing. Just means anything is possible. And so that's always my mentality. Like I don't, I'm just like, when I fail, I just learn from it and grow from it. So, you know, I'm taking risks all the time. And by the way, lots of them don't work. But, um, you know, a lot of more of them do work than don't work. And the ones that don't work, we learn from. And the ones that do work, we build upon. But, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a big risk taker. And I think the biggest, by the way, the biggest risk that someone cannot do, the biggest risk someone cannot do is to not take the risk. Because so many people actually have good ideas, but they don't have the courage and the guts to just go for it. And that's what Alex will always do. I know it about him. He's like, I know when you kind of ask, what, what, you know, what do you invest in? I know what Alex looks for. He's looking for two things. People he really believes in with a market opportunity, a business that he really believes in. You got a good idea, a good business. You got a good team. You're going to win. And that's what he's always investing because that's the way he thinks because he can will anything to happen. He can make anything to happen. If you do it with good business dynamics, you're going to be successful. So I think, you know, business leaders are taking risks every day and that's part of being a good business leader. Um, and so you just got to keep taking them and, you know, you got you to have a good bad average. Alex, you want to add anything there in terms of risk? Yeah, I mean, I almost echo everything Michael says. We're so much alike. You know, it's funny. Well, sometimes we'll talk Sunday at midnight and we'll talk, you know, uh, Tuesday at 530 in the morning. And he's like, I'm done with my first call. And it's just like, we look at each other and we're both got like, you know, dark eyes in the middle of the night. Like, it's, it's crazy. But it's just what it takes is a passion. It's fun. We don't want to get bad at the, you know, that's our sport. Like, in many ways, you know, I wish I liked to play golf more. I wish I liked to be on a yacht. I, I really don't. I like to create uh, what we did in sports, which is a great camaraderie, building enterprise value for our shareholders and being wildly focused. But I mean, the Mets, for example, I, I knew the Mets wasn't, uh, you know, there's so much better place for us to deploy capital, but it was really a passion and I love baseball and I'm a New Yorker. And Jennifer and I thought we could be great for the sport of baseball. We could be great ambassadors and, and associates with Rob Manfred as the chairman and CEO of our game. And the shareholders of our game of baseball I believe deserve a better experience. I think they're going to get it. I'm really long-term bullish in baseball. Short-term, we have some headwinds, but I think the smartest people you can put around the hoop in baseball, and I felt like we can do that and bring some incredible people. But you know, while while I'm risky, I'm always thinking about like downside protection, right? And I think Michael thinks the same way. We don't just get in a highway for 50 miles. We understand where the exits are, where we can make a U-turn, where we can add a passenger that can actually bring value. And we figure it out. I mean, one of the things about, we keep joking about not going to college, but most entrepreneurs that I know that are really, really, really great did not have this great academic straight path where they were just, you know, valedictorians. Because when you're kind of a little bit of a problem child, what are you doing all the time? You're getting out of trouble. You're talking to the principal. you got to, you know, get in and out. You need people. To, you can't just macro. you got to micro and macro. So you develop all these skills, you know, of, of finding people that are smart. Like, I wanted to sit next to someone really smart in class because they would teach me and coach me and mentor me. So as an entrepreneur, it's funny. Sometimes they don't start great, but they finish great. And I think Mike and I know how to close. All right. So last question here, guys. Where do you see the next big opportunity in sports? You know, for me, I think there's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be digital. It's like, look, right now, the pandemic has accelerated the digital transformation in sports and you see um, online sports betting that is, you know, growing so quickly. You see e-commerce that's growing so quickly. 
You see digital NFTs that have come out of nowhere that, you know, well, there's going to be highs and lows. I think there's going to be a real big long-term business there. So I think when you think about the digital sports ecosystem, there's going to be tons of opportunities. So it's going to be within the digital sports ecosystem. And um, that's what, uh, for me, that's what, you know, makes, you know, going at it every day so exciting. Yeah. And for me, I mean, first of all, three sports that I'm really bullish on. I think the NBA is I'm bullish soccer and then esports. I think has a bright, bright future and, uh, and they're well on their way. Um, you know, obviously gaming is an obvious one, e-commerce, all of that. But I actually think that in, in the building, there's no one that does it better than the craft groups. I mean, if there's 365, you guys probably have events in 360 of them. I mean, you run that like a, like a, like a fine machine. Most teams, can run it like that. They haven't run it like that. There's a reason why you guys are the best of the best. But I think there's tremendous opportunity inside the stadium to innovate and uh, create tre tremendous opportunity with technology, with gaming, and really, again, bring the Uber inside the stadium versus the yellow cab we're used to. So there's a lot uh, around that, that that I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, I loved your ideas around the stadium and the crafts are obviously going at it as are uh, Jim Nolan and Jen Farron who, who drive all of that work in the stadium. But I think I learned a ton today from both of you guys. Um, so fun. I actually didn't know that you get, that you shared a brain. Uh, there's so much there <laughs> that you have to be scary. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for, uh, for closing out the, the conference, at least the panels. We have the Alpha Awards next, but uh you guys are great. Congratulations on driving so much impact and innovation during the pandemic. During a time when things were tough, you both found ways to give back and inspire people in sports uh, in such meaningful ways. So thank you both very much. Thank you. It was fun. Michael, I'm going to call you now. Jessica, I hope to speak to you next week. And uh, again, thank you for having us. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.